Our scripture this morning is from Matthew 6, verses 19 through 24. And these are the words of the Lord. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body, so if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Thank you, Wade. All right, let me go grab this too. It's 300 I know. I want to. Yes, I do have my chalk. You need to like get a whole like set that just is on wheels for up here. A nice bookcase, a leather armchair. Look real good and fancy up here. All right. Good morning, everybody. Let me get situated real fast. So, we are still going strong in Sermon on the Mount. And if you've been tracking with us so far, it's some of those bits of Sermon on the Mount you might be relatively familiar with, like the Beatitudes and blessed is this person, blessed is that person, blessed is this person. Then it's uh, Jesus going on a very, uh, pretty lengthy, almost dualistic view of the Old Testament, where he talks about, you have heard this, but I say unto you this. And he's teaching people how they should interpret the Old Testament. He's not messing with the law, but rather cultural ideas about the law. So he says, you have heard it said such and such about lust and anger and divorce and prayer and fasting, but I'm telling you this is how you should do it. Because this is the way that brings about a kingdom reality. It's Jesus cultivating a whole new culture and reorienting people's mindsets about how they interact with God and with other people. But as you can tell from the passage that was just read, we suddenly have a shift. We no longer have Jesus saying, you have heard it said, do this, but I'm telling you, do this. Jesus is just leveling with people here. And he has just given everybody a stern and very sober kind of warning slash ultimatum. And there's just so much to unpack in just a little bit of time. And it seems so evident to us. It's pretty straightforward of, okay, don't have treasures on earth. But then we have all this business about an eyeball and how great is the light or the darkness. And then we're right back to money. So it's a little bit of like a, a tricksy passage to deal with. But we'll make our way through it just fine. I have confidence. 
But starting right back up at verse 19, so now I disoriented myself because Wade and I found it in one of those Bibles and it was on this side. And in my Bible, it's on this side. So I stared at this side and it's in like chapter 8 and my brain just got really confused. It's all right. I'll find my way back. So do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And for us, in modern day life, it might be a little bit weird to think about rust and moths and all that kind of stuff. I mean, we get it. By and large, we get it. You know, we, we deal with moths and rust, but it's not the same. Right? For us, a moth isn't going to destroy our entire livelihood. It's just kind of that annoying thing that gets into your house right at dusk and you're just sitting there on Netflix and all of a sudden, out of nowhere, you just kind of hear this persistent like little peek, 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 peek noise and you look up and there he is just kind of, you're like, ah. And then you have to go through the whole mental battle of do I get up and kill it or do I just leave it? It'll die. You know, like we, rust and moths are a nuisance to us. For these people, whenever the entire world economy, you are either some sort of farmer, some sort of metal slash mineral worker, like you cut gems or you make swords or you make horseshoes or something, you are in some sort of textile industry or you are in another industry that is spelled with three letters and because there are kids in the room, you get it, the world's oldest job. And if you're not one of those four, you're probably not making any money. But guess what? Bugs and rust totally kill your job opportunities. It's not like you get to just go home and grab a can of some sort of never rust and spray all your junk in the ancient world. You have to actually be very, very concerned about your entire livelihood being destroyed. A much better way of thinking about it is you have maybe a 401k, a savings account, something that's hinged upon something else that's totally out of your control. I'm not here to make you panic. I'm just here to remember the reality of like 1930 wasn't very long ago. Everything could just be gone. It could just totally be wiped out. That is a much closer thing than the nuisance of rust and moths. No, Jesus is saying everything you have at any given moment can be taken from you. One bad swarm of locusts, one bad bit of moths come in and eat your fabric, one, one really bad downturn or one really good stent of inflation all your savings is just gone. Everything is temporary. And so he's challenging people. For, I mean, and it's not like they want anything bad. There's nothing bad about wanting to have a stable job. There's nothing bad about making an income. There's nothing bad about having a 401k or a savings account or an IRA, or whatever. They're all good things. Horseshoes and clothes, and they, it's all good. None of it can actually sustain you 
in a meaningful way because it can all be taken away. It gets you from today to tomorrow. But ultimately, once you lay your head on the pillow at night, you don't know what's going to happen with it tomorrow. And now with everything in our world just becoming increasingly more and more and more digital, that reality is like, it hits you hard. I don't know if you all know this, somewhere in the neighborhood of 66 to 70 percent of all currency that exists on the planet is completely and totally digital. It's not there. It's just a bunch of ones and zeros we have arbitrarily decided exist. I'm a millennial. I don't use paper money. I have cards. And like when I have paper money, I don't know what to do with it. It doesn't fit in my wallet. It's just annoying. I don't like change. Katie likes change, except for pennies. I don't get it. Quarters are fine, but just because I need them at Aldi. <laughs> but literally, anything happens. Anything happens. My money is just like gone. Part of the grid goes down. Gone. When you work from home for an entire year because the whole planet simultaneously shuts down and somebody gets into a car accident and they veer their car into the phone line right outside your house and now you at one moment were making money and now you're not making money because they took out your internet connection your boss is just like, I don't know. I guess you just don't get paid for a little bit because internet. Everything that we do to just get us from one day to the next to the next, they're all good things. But the only thing they can do is just help you get to the end of today. You never know what's going to happen with it tomorrow. Odds are it'll be fine, but you don't know. And Jesus is trying to get into his people a new mentality of understanding. That's all this is. They're blessings, and they're good, but they're just instruments to get you from here to here to here. They don't actually sustain you. They don't actually give you peace. I mean, you might have a little bit more peace whenever you just spent a little bit more money than you meant to, so you get real anxious, and then you get paid, and you're like, oh, okay but you're just going to spend more money and you're just going to feel anxious all over again. Jesus is challenging them saying, hey, uh, you have a wrong headspace. Why? Because wherever your treasure is, that's where your heart is. It's not just a matter of, okay, okay, maybe I, I put a little bit too much emphasis on my paycheck? No, he's, he's saying, you are doing something much worse for yourself. You are unintentionally deifying this stuff that only gives you peace for a day, that only gives you peace for a little bit. Your food might be really great now. Tomorrow, it's not going to help you because you just need to eat again. 
And we have a word for what this is. And it's a word that sometimes we have a hard time like really getting to the meat of. We call it idolatry. And for a lot of us, we might have been around the church lingo for a while. So what do we call idolatry? We call it making something that's not God, God. And I'm certain most of you are sitting there like, yeah. It's, it's a bit more of a yes and. Like, you're not wrong, but we're not all the way right. Surprisingly enough, and this is a theme throughout human history and the Bible, uh, if you think you're doing it wrong, you are also probably doing it more wrong than what you thought, which is the case with idolatry, right? So we like to think that because, you know, we are, we are super enlightened 21st century people, those nonsensical ancient people, they just worshipped a hunk of wood because they didn't know nothing. They didn't really worship a hunk of wood. What an idol actually was, was a place for a, a god. Not, the, the wood isn't the god. They, they're smart enough to know the wood's not a god. I literally carved it out the same hunk of wood that I used to heat up my soup. What I'm going to do is I'm going to make a little house for a god to dwell. So what's, what's something I might need as an ancient person? Name something. Name anything. Food. Food. Say what? Olives, okay, so we're going to go real specific. Food, but olives and figs. I farm nothing but olives and figs. So I know that somewhere out there, floating around in the ether, there is a god of olives and figs. Now I need to impress this god of olives and figs, so I get more olives and figs to make money. So I'm going to take, I'm going to take a little hunk of wood, from, or rock, or, or whatever, and I'm going to have my little hunk of rock here. There we go. And... I'm going to say, okay, I'm going to make this in, in the likeness of the God of olives and figs. So he knows it's his house. It'll have his name and his likeness all over it. So, I don't know, we'll give him a, like, a, like a toga looking thing. And we'll give him chubby little arms. And a face. And in this hand, he'll have some figs. And in this hand, we'll give him a little olive branch. Right? And there we go. And we'll give him one of those wreaths so we know he's nice and fertile. Right? Thank you. And then what I'm going to do is I'm going to put this right next to my farm. And I'm going to put a little altar thing right here. And I'm going to burn some stuff on it. So there's lots of nice, attractive, smelly smoke. It smells like meat and oil and whatever else. So it goes up into the air. The fig and all of God smells it and knows, I have an offering here. And he decides that this thing is going to be his new summer getaway. And because I have made him a lovely home that he likes and I constantly give him things he likes, he blesses me and sustains me. Whenever you turn something into an idol, you are not just casually misplacing your priorities, right? You are not just 
casually giving too much attention to your phone or to your job or to your, your spouse, boyfriend, girlfriend, fiance, whatever, to your kids. What you are actually doing is taking that thing, whether living or inanimate or whatever, and you're actually trying to say that I want that thing, the attributes of that thing, olives and figs, I want the attributes of having Facebook and YouTube and Twitter and all of the little Pavlovian beings that make me happy whenever my phone goes off because people are giving me attention, or I want the goodness of my family because my kids make me smile when they don't want to make you rip out your hair, or you want the attributes of your spouse. You want God to stop being who he is, and you just want his blessings and spirit to come fill the thing that you have defined and say, God, I don't want what you have for me. I want these specific blessings. I want you to stop being you. I want you to stop being good and just and merciful. And I want you to come dwell inside of a little tiny piece of plastic designed by Apple and made in China because it gives me more happiness than I believe you will. You're not just casually forgetting God from time to time. You are actively reducing him and telling him to change who he is. And we now have an even more dangerous game because odds are, odds are, being kind church folk, you are doing spiritual damage to yourself, but that's it because you're just interacting with your friends and your family and your phone, and that's as far as it goes. But the problem is because God doesn't reduce himself. And he doesn't like to live in tiny little things that look like chubby olive and fig gods. And he doesn't like to live inside of, of your phone or your bank account. There are other spiritual things that might decide they would like to live in their new summer home of the god of Apple computers or of Galaxy computers or of YouTube or of the stock market or whatever else. Something if you're unlucky enough, might decide, I'll just go on ahead and take that spot. And since that demonic thing know, knows all you need is some kind of blessing or even the tiniest little bit of affirmation from your God, you now are getting messed with by something awful and spiritual. It might just be you playing on your phone. You could be inviting a whole new can of worms into your life you don't need to be dealing with. We don't have time to get into all that, but understand... Jesus isn't just saying, you know, like the Harry Potter thing, like she needs to get her priorities in order. No, it's not that. It's a, you can either just continually live in the perpetual hamster wheel trap of worshiping the things that only get you from here to here to here to here and maybe actually open your life up to something spiritual and demonic and not even know it. Or you lay up your treasure in heaven. Because these are the things that will give you peace. They can help give you joy. Whenever your other stuff runs out, whatever treasure or investment or anything else that you have made into Jesus' kingdom, it's always going to be there because the kingdom is from now 
until the end of the age. And the passage keeps going, right? So there might be some of y'all sitting in here thinking, ha, I don't have money. Checkmate. I know what you mean, man. <laughs> I'm a millennial. I don't have money. I went to college and got a piece of paper that does nothing. And I have no money. I mean, I got, as far as world standards, I'm like one of the wealthiest people to ever live. So that's a whole different can of worms. I would love to talk to you about it. But for just understand, in the relative scheme of America, I got not much. Okay? Here's the fun part. The passage keeps going. Even if you are skint broke, Jesus still has something to tell you. Because he goes on to say, For the eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. What? So we're not ancient Hebrews. So for understandably, you're just kind of like, oh, oh, okay, I guess that makes sense. Eyeballs let light into my body. I guess that makes sense. You're kind of on the right track. This is a very, very specific cultural thing. So for Hebrews, there is a concept of a bad eye. Right? So superstitious people might call it the evil eye. But Hebrews have this tendency in their writing to take one part of your body, and we're going to say this one part of your body, based off of what it does, is a symbolic representation of all of you. So in earlier parts, whenever we talk about Jesus saying, it's better to, for you to cut off one part of your body than the whole thing to be thrown into the fires of hell, it's because, look, this sin, this sin right here from your hand can overtake you. So get rid of the sin, or else the whole body now becomes the hand. Same concept here. You can have a good eye, a good eye that's full of light, because light is good, and you can see things, and you can see the beauty of the world. Or you can have a bad eye. And a bad eye is a very specific thing in the Hebrew mind. It is what we would call, is, getting ready, it's a multi-syllable word here, covetousness. Because we don't use that word a lot in, a, in American everyday English, it's essentially envy. Okay. So what I'm not talking about is when you see something really cool and you think, that would be awesome. Like every... Every, every time, I'm not even a car person, but every time a Tesla goes by, I have to like stop and have a moment of silence. Just like put my hat on my chest and just, we're just going to respect what's moving by right now. Right? But there's a difference between that and thinking it would be awful nice if I had a Gibson ES335 from the 1960s that cost $12,000 just because it would sound pretty. To, or between that and the bad eye. Because the bad eye is no longer just, that would be really cool if I had that. And appreciating something because it's there and knowing it would be cool, that's just a regular old desire. The bad eye means you desire something to the point of malice for somebody else. It's no longer, that would be cool if I had it. It's a, that person has it and I want it. I don't want just 
a thing like that. I want that specific thing because I feel I'm owed it and they're doing damage to me by not letting me have it. Right? It's how, why we end up with horrible situations where people's spouses just run off on each other. You're like, why would you break somebody else's house up? There's like every other person on the planet you could date. Because they feel in their heart, I want that one. And that one is mine. And I don't care what gets in my way. I want it. That's a bad eye. You now are belittling another human being and saying, I don't care about you. I just want what you have for me. Ideally, what you don't even have for me, that thing that's yours, that you worked really hard for, but now it's mine. I'm a step on you to get it. That's a bad eye. Yeah. There's, no, there's no out here for anybody. And there's this really big cultural thing right now. Specifically, I mean, it's been going on in the West like since the Enlightenment, so it's not necessarily a new thing, but it's happening very intensely right now in our culture where there seems to be this a very strong false dichotomy where it's like if you are a rich person you must be a horrible awful person who doesn't care if anything you have done to step or squash on people or if you have employees but you have more money than them obviously you're some sort of quasi slave trader who doesn't care if they have horrible health benefits and dies in a gutter it's like 1920s jungle style you just want your bottom dollar and that's it. Or you are a horribly, horribly lazy, poor person. It, you're not actually some hard scrabble person who's down on their luck. You're just a social parasite. You're living off of the social nets and we don't need you. And there's this horrible false dichotomy where our culture is trying really, really, really hard to get extreme ends of people to hate each other simply because of if they have stuff or if they don't. And it's a really weird concept contradictory message because then we have people who just say well it's just stuff just pull yourself up you know it's just that simple you can get more stuff but like what if somebody had a horrible back injury and they genuinely can't work for the next seven months and it's not their fault and it just happened and that's why they're on welfare. Or what if this person tries really, 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 really hard to give all their employees money, and at the end of the day, their business is slowly dying, so they have to make really hard decisions to make sure they can give more people the most amount of money as possible for as long as possible, even though COVID just threw off everything and they were already running on small margins anyways. Right now, the culture wants to try really, really hard to make you think you are somehow virtuous if you either have a lot of stuff or if you don't have a lot of stuff. Understand this very clearly. The Bible, God, Jesus, the apostles, at no point do any of them ever explicitly praise or condemn having money or not. Because it doesn't matter if it's money, if it's your time, if it's your energy, if it's your phone, if it's your 
artistic abilities, if, if it's your mind, maybe you're a very cerebral person and you can just think endlessly these wonderful things that would be good for society if people heard them. Or maybe you just have really good labor and knowledge. You're just good with your hands. Wherever it is your treasure is, whatever it is that you have investment in, that's where your heart's going to be. And it is possible to be obsessed with money and stuff and not have any of it. You're not instantly blessed and wise and loved by the Lord just because you have stuff. And you're not immediately poor in spirit and blessed and meek just because you are actually poor. Sometimes that's just life. Jesus isn't concerned about what's actually in your bank account or for an ancient person in your little jar buried outside of your house so thieves don't steal all your gold and silver and jewels or whatever. He's concerned about wherever your heart is. And what you do with your treasure shows where your heart is. Because the final verse tells us that no one can serve two masters. For he will either hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You can't serve both God and money. Some of your Bibles might have a funky word there that says mammon. Mammon is a better word to use than money. Because mammon, it's more than money. It's literally any kind of wealth you've got in almost like a personified way. Almost, and kind of like a this way. And whether you have this, or you want to have this, and you will step on whoever you need to to get it because you don't have it and you feel wronged or, or whatever. Jesus is just flat out giving an ultimatum here. You cannot have both the kingdom and this. You are either going to love the kingdom or you love this. And you know which one you love based off of the fruit. Say you like technology. That's your gifting. That's that, that, is, that is the treasure you have to offer the world. What are you doing with that? Say you actually do have a lot of money and that's what you have to offer the world. What are you doing with it? Your talents, your time, your energy, whatever it is. Are you just burning it on the altar to maybe hopefully get more of it tomorrow and feel good today and wake up and hopefully feel kind of good all over again tomorrow? Or are you entering into this new mindset because Jesus has just talked to them about prayer and fasting and giving. So it's not a coincidence he immediately says, okay, you need to be giving and loving and open about what you have, whatever it is. And then he gives you the ultimatum of, so you either get to be open or giving, or you love this. There's not much of an in-between. And so whenever we look at this passage, it's not just the self-evident thing of, of course. Of course, 
just don't casually put too much interest in my money. Like, I'm going to understand Jesus sustains me, but all at the same time, I'm going to really, really, really be concerned about all my money. It's still a trap. It's still a trap. Wherever your treasure is, your heart is. So if you treasure your stuff, that's where you're going to stay. If you treasure the kingdom, then you have a whole new reality where you're suddenly free from the never-ending hamster wheel of maybe I'll have enough stuff for tomorrow. Because you understand that Jesus and God have your ultimate sustenance in mind. And I'm not talking about like just stop doing whatever you're doing, become monk, and food is magically going to fall from the sky. Keep doing what you're doing. Like, to get by in the world. Do what you got to do. Work. Work hard. But Jesus wants you to always have the mindset in mind of what are you doing, where, what are you treasuring, and then what are you doing with the treasures you have to offer. If you have time, and you're not doing anything with it, why not use the time to help serve in some way? If you don't, if there's nobody that needs anything at the moment, then like, pray for people. Yeah. If you got a minute, yeah. if you've got some extra money, and somebody else needs something, why not fill the need? Yeah, they might need something again tomorrow, but so will you. So, and as far as you know, the money's going to come back. So why not? I got to be honest, that's really, really hard for me. I don't know why. I have had like the most gloriously simple life imaginable. And yet for whatever reason, I'm like paranoid by scarcity. Like if I do anything with that money, everything is going to go horribly wrong tomorrow. And my wife and I are just going to be starving on the street. Like this immediately, my mind just freaks out. I can't, it's hard for me to get out of that headspace. And it's a good thing I married Katie because she's just very like, I got the money, here you go. And it hurts my brain to try to figure that out. Because for her, it's not like a hard thing. It's just like her natural impulsive reflux. Of like, yeah, her reflex rather, not reflux. She's not going to puke money on you. Um, you know, she's just like, oh, okay, obviously I do that. And my brain's just like, no, go put it back because that's where it goes. You know, like the stingy guy who just collects action figures and they never come out of the box. It's like, no. It stays there. It's not meant to do anything. It's just meant to be there to make me feel good. The only way out of that is to incrementally, and it, look, any progress is progress. If it means like 50, whatever that looks like for you, if it's like 50 extra cents, on your tithe, if it means hanging out like 30 minutes more after the service to help with lights and TLC or, or, or whatever, literally whatever treasure you've got, whatever it is, time, money, energy, talents, knowledge, whatever. Just try to live openly with it. And this strange and miraculous thing happens and it's Jesus talks about it all the time. It says, if you're faithful with a little bit, then seem, at somehow, some way, at the end of the road, you become faithful with a lot of bit. 
It's the renewing of the mind. It's that genuine repentance of, of leaving one mentality and entering into a whole new culture that Jesus is creating. And it's only possible through kingdom. It's not possible through self-help and motivation and chicken noodle soup for the soul or your Fitbit or, or whatever new health trend or whatever new financial trend. Like maybe you're all aboard the Bitcoin train. I don't know. But whatever your treasure is, whatever you've got, Jesus just says live openly with it. Because once you start doing that, that's how you change your mind, your heart, your soul. If you trust Jesus with just this much and you see that he will be faithful, then you begin to trust him a little bit more and a little bit more and a little bit more. It's not like you just magically white-knuckle your way into clearing out your bank account for Jesus and giving millions and millions of dollars away. It's, Jesus is a very realistic guy. Right? Like he, had to, he had to preach multiple times the same thing, probably, and he had to explain it to the disciples multiple times, probably. He gets it. It's hard. But whatever you've got, time, energy, money, whatever, just, just try to be openly with even just the smallest amount of it and see if he's faithful. And if he is, then try with just a little bit more and see where that gets you. I'm not going to pretend to be the grand poobah and, and, and the money wizard, right? That faithfulness can look like upping your tithe or helping support some sort of parachurch organization or flipping off lights or doing whatever. It can come in a whole lot of different forms, but just, just, just pray. Be open to the Spirit, be discerning, and just whatever you got, be faithful with a little bit. And if he's faithful back, then just see what happens with a little bit more and a little bit more and a little bit more because that's, that's how kingdom comes. And one day, it will be a triumphant yes. Everything just magically makes sense and it's not going to be hard anymore and there won't be pain and tears and anxiety. We're getting ready to talk about anxiety, about all this stuff anyways. So if this sermon makes you anxious, fine, because it makes me anxious too. We'll deal with the anxiety soon enough. But it's just one day, there will be the magical easy because it all makes sense because we'll see him and he'll be there but for right now it's that little by little kingdom that creates a triumphant thing that the world can see so this morning whatever it looks like uh, for you to respond to to really examine and be open to the spirit of, of, of do you have something that's trying to be God. But not just like be God because you're casually ignoring God. I mean like literally you are demanding that God be something else because you want those blessings and those things and not him and not Jesus. Pray that the Spirit can just level you with that because that's a death trap waiting to happen. Be open to maybe, maybe you have more, more resentment and bitterness inside of you because of hardship you're going through. It could, maybe it's not your fault even. But still, that, that resentment, that bitterness, it's still a death trap no matter what. Be open to those things of saying, okay, Jesus, I hear you. 
what, what do I do? And he'll tell you. Amen. Amen. He, he'll talk to you. That's how it works. What, just be willing to examine what, what do I have as a treasure and what do you want me to do with it? And how do I shake off this idol, this spirit of idolatry? How do I shake off my bitterness and my envy and my anger toward other people who have stuff because I don't? And then how, and, and once we can really start making progress, how, how do we, what do we collectively offer our community? Are we a church that gives off a kingdom impression or I'm not going to do the British impression because I'm, I'm not going to do it, but, you know, the whole the church wants my money thing. W which vibe are we giving off? So we should be open for that self-examination. I'm not here to make you feel anxious or horrible because you have money or, or if you're poor. Don't hear that. Just be open with your treasure. Whatever, how, however small that treasure is. And I know it's hard and it's frightening and it genuinely makes you anxious. Trust me, I got all kinds of anxiety issues. I know. Uh, but just ask, what is something at least a little bit that I can be faithful with this week, today, the rest of the day, whatever that looks like? so you can be more faithful later. If the band wants to come on up, I'll get the stuff out of your way. Um, just have a genuine, honest, open moment with God and, and the Spirit. And... Oh, you do? Okay, thank you. And just really, really reflect. Because this stuff goes deep. And it's something that we don't want to inherently let go of. We get really nervous. It gives you that queasy feeling in your stomach. Um, and that's the stuff where Jesus needs to change us the most. I don't want anybody to feel bad or vilified because it's hard. It's hard for everybody, but just be open. That's all you need to be. It's just open. Jesus can work with open. So just take a moment and do whatever business you need to with God. And let the Spirit just come over you in whatever way He needs to.